Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a Rush City businessman is giving back to students in the community and a fire safety reminder as folks begin spring cleaning burning. But first... State lawmakers started grappling with the big issues, taxes and bonding, as the legislative clock this week ticked past three weeks to the May 20th adjournment deadline. MNN's Bill Werner is here with a recap of the goings-on. Scott, the Minnesota House kicked things off for the week on Monday, passing on a strong vote of 90 to 38, a bill to line up the state's tax code with federal changes. But Democrats say it benefits businesses and the wealthy more than working families. Republicans respond 2.1 million Minnesotans will get tax cuts and beyond that, said Greenfield Representative Jerry Hurtas. We're trying to incentivize work. We're trying to incentivize investment to make Minnesota more competitive. Egan Democrat Sandra Mason responded. We're not doing anything about the income gap. You're just trying to get more and more money to the fewer and fewer people. How does that help our country? House Democratic Minority Leader Melissa Hortman said President Trump's tax bill benefited corporations and the wealthy. We should repair that damage. We should be making taxes more fair for Minnesotans. Instead, Minnesotans Republicans are choosing to give corporations even more money. House Republican Majority Leader Joyce Pepin responded, Republicans' bill simplifies the tax code and... The most important thing, we actually provide tax relief to 2.1 million Minnesotans. Republicans in the Minnesota Senate unveiled their tax plan this week, and Lino Lake Senator Roger Chamberlain says over 99% of Minnesotans will be protected from any tax increases. 99.8 to be exact, 99.8. About 82% will see decreases. 82% will see decreases on their tax bill. Senate Republicans proposing dropping the lowest income tax rate by one quarter percent. They say Minnesotans would keep popular deductions for mortgage interest, property taxes, and charitable donations. Governor Mark Dayton warns the Senate GOP tax plan will create what he calls a fiscal nightmare for the next governor and legislature. You can see the path as clear as the iceberg ahead of the Titanic. And uh, this time we're ringing the alarm bell more than 30 seconds ahead of time. The average uh, tax cut uh, would provide an individual or a family uh, would be between 50 and $95. The average tax cut provides a multimillionaire with a $5 million estate is $338,000. Minnesota House Republicans this week unveiled their $825 million bonding bill for state public works projects. Nearly half the money would go to preserve existing buildings. $120 million for roads and bridges, $153 million for water and conservation projects, Governor Dayton's reaction? Where's the other half? (laughs) Woefully inadequate. About $2.3 billion of real needs. $1.5 billion, which I could include in my budget. Republicans respond with a large bonding bill the legislature passed last year. The $825 million they're proposing brings state bonding to a record level during the current two-year cycle. Well, instead of including it in their bonding bill, House Republicans want to take money from the Vikings Stadium Reserve Fund to help pay for three new veterans' homes in Bemidji, Montevideo, and Preston. No, it's just not going to happen, says the governor. We have a surplus. You know, we have a projected surplus. All they need to do is, is 
budget the money appropriately, not give it all away in tax cuts. Republicans respond the stadium reserve fund is projected to grow to what they term an astonishing $120 million by the end of the next biennium. Representative Sarah Anderson says those excess dollars, quote, can be better used to address the needs of our veterans that have sacrificed so much for our country. MnDOT officials caused a stir at the Capitol this week when they announced their list for $417 million in 2018 funding for Corridors of Commerce highway projects. MnDOT Commissioner Charles Zelly contends there's a solid statewide balance. If you also do the math, this is roughly 51% going to the greater Minnesota and 49 to the Metro District. Senate Transportation Committee Chairman Hutchinson Republican Scott Newman disagrees. He says he's very disappointed with MnDOT's list. If you take a look at the list... Uh, it in reality is all metro. But rural Democrats are upset also. How much patience do we have to have? North Mankato Representative Clark Johnson, who tried to cut funding for an additional lane on I-94 between Clearwater and Monticello, meeting stiff resistance from St. Cloud Representative Jim Knobloch. Probably the busiest stretch of I-94 in the state. Uh, It's just good, prudent budgeting to spend $20 million more to make these lanes permanent. Johnson responded money should be spent in rural Minnesota on roads that do not come to the Twin Cities. Do it on the 14s and the 23s and the Route 2s, the kind of roads that really can help develop connect cities in rural Minnesota. A bill the Senate passed last week would require a 50-50 rural metro split in corridors of commerce funding. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed, could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A Rush City businessman is giving the gift of education to seniors at the local high school where he lives. MN's Tasha Radel has more. Thanks, Scott. Just after he graduated from high school in 1951, Dennis Franson left his hometown of Luck, Wisconsin, to seek his fortune in the big city. Months later, he started what became Franson Corporation, now a multi-million dollar company with operations in manufacturing, banking, and real estate that employs around 1,000 people. Recently, Franson, who lives in Rush City, reached out to the local high school there, offering this year's graduates free tuition at Pine Technical and Community College, a two-year school in nearby Pine City. I was up at Pine Botech and, uh, recently, and I toured the facility at Pine City, and I had really wasn't aware of all the 
offerings offerings that they had for students and I said to myself there's there's just a wonderful uh, opportunity for people to take some vocational training uh, for a couple of years and can be a plumber, electrician, carpenter, accountant, nurse, all kinds of opportunities. And um, I said, gee, this is really great. So I am also in the process of trying to decide. I've been I've been in business, uh, an entrepreneur since 19, uh, since I was 17 years old, and I'm 84 years old today. And so I. I was in the process of trying to decide what to do uh, with my assets. And uh, first of all, I, you need to take care of your family and children, of which I have done. And I was trying to decide what to do, what was the right thing to do. And I got up to Pine Votech, and I all of a sudden realized that this is the right thing. I what I can do for the local. Uh, students in Rush City, um, I could offer them a, a two-year scholarship, not a huge amount of money per person, um, and so I made the decision to offer it to the entire graduating class of Rush City and not realizing how in much enthusiasm I have generated by doing that, and so and a lot of the students were... And, and parents were seemed to be very thankful for the opportunity. When you reached out uh, to, to the high school, tell us a little bit about that when you reached out to the superintendent to, to talk about this. Well, I have an assistant. Um, her name is Margaret Marty that uh, handles these kinds of things for me, and I had her contact the superintendent and, and asked her what she thought about it. And... Uh, um, but she was very enthusiastic and said, this is wonderful. And uh, so we coordinated with her, sent out a letter to every family, uh, every family of the graduating students, and um, they received the letter. And, well, we got a, just a terrific response. Uh, I thought maybe we'd get five or ten, but we got around... 40% of the class that has accepted that. So this is better than I expected. And this is uh, for this year's graduating class, correct? Correct. And, you know, I know I think I was reading an article that, you know, the importance of, of education to you, and um, you also help put some of your grandkids through college and, and realizing that coming out with student debt really didn't make a lot of sense. Is that fair to say? Well, I put them through college with no debt, and so I, I have ten grandchildren, which I, I've got two left to go to graduate out of college, and uh, in some cases they they had uh, too much of a good time, and uh, when they got out of college, weren't sure what they wanted to do for a career, and weren't trained in any Pacific area, and uh, that's not true in all cases. But I, I said, wait a minute, this is, you know, this is not what it's all about. And, um, and especially for the, if I thought about the students at Rush City, and I'll, uh, I gave them a choice. And uh, 40% of them have, have accepted that. So I'm very happy about that. 
And when you look at Pine Technical and Community College, would you think, is it fair to say that it's kind of a little hidden gem right there in that area of the state? As far as I'm concerned, it is. Maybe other people, it's not a hidden gem, but, uh, you know, there it was right there literally under my nose. And after touring the facility and talking to the president, Joe, up there at Pine, uh, you know, I realized that the, the uh, graduating students, they, if they would, if they could stay at home and go to school, have a part-time job, and uh, and study and become skilled at one trade or another would get out of uh, get out of their debt free and they'd be in big demand. There's a huge demand for carpenters and electricians and auto mechanics and so forth and and uh, they are they would do very well. They'll make about double of what they would for more than double than what they make for common labor. So anyway, that's the talk I gave to them, and that's, you know, they had big acceptance. And it sounds like it's your talk stuck, that's for sure. Part two of Tasha Radel's interview with Dennis Franson is coming up next on Minnesota Matters. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters for part two of my conversation with Dennis Franzen, who recently offered two-year scholarships to any Rush City High School grad to attend Pine Technical and Community College. Education strikes a chord with Franzen, whom himself never attended college. No, I did not. I, when I graduated out of high school I, at 17, um, I was born on a, raised on a dairy farm east of Frederick, Wisconsin, and uh, my father had said that you've got, we never even talked about college. My mother and father each had eighth grade educations, and I I went to a one-room grade school for eight years and then went to, graduated from Frederick High School, and by the way, not the greatest student there. And um, so I went to the Twin Cities and with another friend of mine, and we slept in the car overnight near Dunwoody Institute, and I happened to stop at 3M, and I applied for a job, and, and uh, surprisingly enough, they hired me to, to be an office boy. And so they sent a, they wanted me to come to work the next Monday, and uh, so they sent a packet home with me, and I got home, and I, first of all, I was scared half to death of going to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul, and uh, I looked at what they were going to pay me, and I realized that I could hardly make ends meet living by myself there, and so I decided that I would stay home and cut wood and logs on my dad's farm, which he gave me, at uh, 17, and... uh, the rest of it, you know, I became an entrepreneur at that age and hired my first employee when I was 18 and and uh, just gradually, uh, inch by inch, created a, uh enterprise that uh, has worked very well for me. And, and is it true that at one point uh, in, in your early starting days that you applied for a loan in Wisconsin and was denied and and 
decided you wanted to own that bank one day? Well, that was that was kid talk. I mean, that was yeah, I, I had said that I had had an opportunity to buy a large tract of land near Rush City with a lot of timber on it, and so I went to my banker at Luck, Wisconsin, the Fidelity State Bank at that time, and told him I want to buy this piece of land, and it's for sale, and uh, it's a terrific opportunity, and he said, he said, oh, you're too young, and it's too far away, and you shouldn't be doing something this big a deal, and uh, so, you know, I fully expected he would borrow me the money, and when I walked out in frustration, I said to myself, by gosh, I'm going to own this bank someday. And I do. You do? <laughs> I do. Well, congratulations. I, I, so then then I was able to uh, buy that tract of land, and we, you know, I made very, did very well by it. Uh, we had a sawmill, a portable sawmill set up there, and we shipped out veneer logs, and, and it was a wonderful purchase, and and I basically moved over to Rush City and uh, lived in the hotel there and had my office in my bedroom and uh, did my own bookkeeping. And and then I met my wife over there, who uh, I married in, um, in 56. And so we're still married today and have four children. So and I still live in the Rush City area. What a what a what a neat thing! What a what a great story! And you know, now that you're you're giving back in that very community, any advice for for kids out there or for students? You know, starting out like you when you were seventeen. Well, I, you know, I think that that hopefully for most of them, it's a good opportunity and. And uh, they take on something that they feel they're good at. You know, it could be a, they could be a great mechanic or a, a welder or something like that. Something that they like. It, first of all, they got to decide that something that they like to do and and or want to do, and uh, study hard and and go through the course and and they become eligible for uh, a good job and. Uh, and if they decide they want to go on to college and and get uh, a college degree, the, the the time it's spent at Pine Votech, the first two years applyable, apply to the uh, college, and so they put in two more years and they get a college degree if that's what they want and, and need. Well, your generosity is is going to to go on for years with these students. I mean, what what a wonderful opportunity! Uh, they're they're very lucky. Uh, before I let you go, Mr. Franzen, anything else you'd like to to add today? Yeah, I would. I I would hope uh, that uh, that there are others out there like me in a position at the, their stage in life to decide what to do with their resources, and they could do uh, the same thing in their local community or wherever, and help a help a lot of uh, students out. And, and at that age, because they really don't know what they want, they don't really don't know what they want, and it's not. It didn't take much to make it all happen, and why not other people doing the same thing? So there's the challenge, Minnesota. Thanks again to my guest Dennis Franzen, founder and CEO of Franzen Corporation. 
Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This past week, the County Road 7 fire charred nearly 4,000 acres in Roseau County. For landowners who regularly burn their yard waste, the blaze is a reminder to take extra care around those fires. Reporter J.W. Cox talked with one University of Minnesota scientist who offered up an alternative to help minimize the need for burning during spring cleanup. Compost happens. You know, regardless of what you do, it's going to happen. When I define compost, I define it as more as a controlled microbial process to convert organic residues into a more usable organic product at the end. If you just put those residues in the soil, they'll break down slowly over time. But the composting process is something that is more managed or controlled. That's U of M soil scientist Carl Rosen, a proponent of and 30-year vet of the composting game. I have a huge pile in my backyard. I use it uh, kind of on on a yearly basis. I collect my leaves in the fall, and I compost them through the uh, following year. And then the following fall, I'll put those leaves, uh, mix that in in the garden or the following spring. Uh, before planting my uh, vegetables. Rosen says the idea of composting is not about eliminating the practice of burning, but providing even more options for disposal. The initial uh, motivation, however, was more due to sending all those leaves to landfills and uh, as opposed to, to burning. And uh, there is a, a state law that prohibits uh, leaves going to landfills, and so the alternative was to either burn or to a compost, and we we felt that composting was the way to go. Aside from safety and fire prevention, Rosen highlighted composting can bring even more benefits burning can't match. I would say that, that composting is definitely an advantage over burning because you're conserving carbon. You're putting back in, that into the soil. When you burn, that carbon's going up into the atmosphere. You're increasing uh, CO2 that way, and uh, the, the ash, you still have some ash, but you don't have the benefits that you would have of, uh, of adding compost or adding that carbon to the soil in terms of the soil health and your soil structure. Sold on the idea yet? Well, Rosen says getting going on your very own compost process starts with a basic understanding of the science behind it. They need to know that the process is a biological one, that you're promoting um, the growth of microbes in there to help break down some of the uh, organic residues, 
and transform it into something that is going going to be very beneficial for your soil. So when you're looking at the microbial growth, you need to look at what the requirements of those microbes are. So they need basically uh, water, they need air, oxygen, and they need nutrients. And if you have those in balance, then that's kind of the key to uh, the composting process. From there, Rosen says there are some basic requirements. You need to have uh, an area where you can do the composting. You usually need a critical mass for composting, usually maybe a a three-foot by three-foot by three-foot volume um, is kind of a minimum that we would say that you need to compost. And uh, you need to have the organic residues. In most cases, it's going to be probably a mixture of grass clippings and leaves. Um, things like uh, branches and large twigs and things, that you need to break those down a little bit because they're not going to compost very readily. But the most common thing would be kind of just residue that you might have on your lawn and leaves and things like that that would be more amenable to the composting process. While leaves and grass clippings are a common jumping-off point, Rosen says you can expand the reach of your compost efforts. You can use your kitchen waste in there, uh, mostly the fruit and the, the vegetables and that type of waste. We don't recommend putting meat in there because it can attract uh, animals from the area, but definitely the, um, the fruit and vegetable waste. We also don't recommend putting in um, a cat and, and dog manure into it uh, just because of the potential disease problems that might happen, might occur. So, um, but de- definitely kitchen waste, fruit and vegetables, uh, that scraps that are uh, not being uh, eaten or gone bad, they are definitely a, a way to enhance your compost. Here in Minnesota, Rosen says there are abundant resources for looking to start or improve your compost. There is a, a composting council in the state, mainly more for municipalities. Um, one way of managing your yard waste is to um, have it collected by uh, municipalities as well. So you, you can do it in your backyard but you can also have your municipalities uh, compost, and most of them have those facilities uh, to, uh, to manage that waste. And there's a, a lot of popularity in that, just because of the end product that's very useful for your soil and your gardening process. Over the decades, Rosen says he's come to see compost as unique among other areas of study. There's not a lot that's uh, going on in terms of new research in composting. It's a practice that's been going on for for many, many years. I think it's more of a way to um, get the word out on how to do it properly. Um, One of the, uh, I guess, one of the limitations of of composting, uh, particularly in your backyard, is um, it does take space. Um, It does take a little bit of work to do it properly. You need to mix the pile every so often to get the uh, uh, aeration in there. And, um, uh, yeah, it, it, and it takes a lot of moving and transferring the, the compost to, to the areas that you want it. So it does take a little bit of work. There's no other easy way of doing it. But it's definitely a good way to, to manage your, your organic waste. If you're ready to put in the elbow grease, Rosen says a call to your local extension office can help you find all the right information you need. Scott, back to you.
Thank you, JW. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.